everybody, and welcome to Play Hype Dialogue. I hope you have your crucifixes at the ready and your bottles of holy water, because today we're talking about vampires versus the Bronx. Today is our special Halloween-themed episode. Um, and to start off, how are we doing? And what would we dress up as if we weren't stuck in a pandemic inside of our houses for Halloween? First of all, best intro to date. Love that intro. <laughs> <laughs> I was feeling uh, myself today. I'm hype. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, uh, my Halloween costumes are the ones that everyone has said I should do based on how I look, which was like either Khal Drogo or uh, Maui from Moana. And it's <laughs> oh, literally Moana. just because of my hair. That <laughs> I, would be so cute. I have, I have no tattoos. But it's like these characters do but yeah i was either gonna smear some stuff on my eyes and be kyle drogo or maui which would be a bunch of tattoos which i am thinking now maybe kyle drogo might be easier so I yeah one of those two see you with your top off clearly <laughs> <laughs> hair down top off uh, <laughs> i was just watching um moana last night do you see it. that in me <laughs> so, i mean whatever brings you joy wow <laughs> that's, that's her way of saying nope <laughs> you haven't seen my hair fresh out the shower that is some maui shit i will no, say your hair is beautiful thanks yours is okay thanks. <laughs> haters <laughs> what would you do for halloween so we were talking about um me and my fiance were talking about being black panther and black widow uh, Who this year, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know about all that like black specs. <laughs> of course, there's nowhere to go this year because stay safe, stay home, buds. Um, but we had talked about that. R.I.P. Chadwick Boseman. Um, so that's we might still do it. I don't know. There's also a like famous dancing couple that I've always wanted us to dress up as. Um, Cuban Pete and Millie Denae were these famous Palladium dancers. Uh, and so that's Wait, been on our list. Like from like early, it was like a while ago. Cause they have like songs with him. Like I, I remember like in I Love Lucy, it's like Cuban Pete. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. something street. Yeah. So Cuban, <laughs> Cuban Pete and his partner, his first partner, Millie Denae were some of the most famous Mambo era palladium dancers, um, in the 1940s and fifties. Uh, so that's the the time period. I thought that'd be fun, but probably not for this year. Maybe next time. Yeah, save that for when you can actually go outside and shake it for everyone. Cut a rug. <laughs> <laughs> Paint the town red. <laughs> yes, yes, let's go. But it definitely doesn't really feel like Halloween. And I'm sure every a lot of people are going through kind of like a time dissonance situation right now with the pandemic and everything. Um, the election is upon us. Uh, which we'll, we'll oh, probably yeah. talk about in next week's episode, but even so, it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like late October. Um, so we're in our, our Halloween episode, and I'm like, oh, here we go, All right? Yeah, it really flew by. Like time has no meaning at this point in the pandemic. Um, certainly doesn't feel like Halloween. But if we were going outside, my usual mo is to do something sort of witchy. Um, so this year. I probably would have dressed as the weeping monk, like put on some eye makeup, throw on a. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that would have been fun because I like those. Like I love wearing like robes and flowy things. So like witches, wizards, the weeping monk. That's sort of my Halloween aesthetic. If I don't do a Marvel character, so I have a, a mystique cosplay that I wear to Comic-Con that I could do for Halloween or my cousin's uh, fiance dressed up as Spider-Man and was willing to let me borrow his Spider-Man costume. So <laughs> I had a couple of options, but I'm just going to sit at home in my shorts and watch horror movies by myself. <laughs> That's cool. We can Netflix party <laughs> so, yes, or teleparty. I'm sorry. Teleparty. Yes, we got to come correct. Crazy. You are now teleporting. If we were, if we were, because now I love this idea of like the, the theme. So if we came as like a podcast group Halloween costume and Carlos was a weeping monk, what would, what would, we, I'm thinking I would try to be like Merlin probably. 
I mean, I guess I'd be Nimue. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Pim. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know if I could pull up Pim. <laughs> Just right here. I guess I could do it. Um, but I feel like if we were going to do Cursed, I'd have to be Nimue. <laughs> because... Wow, conceited. <laughs> if we were going to do Cursed, I guess I would be the queen of the Fae. I mean, <laughs> what else would I be? I mean, <laughs> it's your girl. Yeah, no, the group costume would be fun. I've never really done a group costume. Like, we've always I've done... I've wanted to do stuff. Super Mario for, like, the longest. <laughs> no one wanted to dress up with me. I went by myself in college. I was like, I'm going to be Mario. I had a I... red fitted and some overalls <laughs> and some Tim's. That's so nice. First of all, we could be Mario and Luigi and... What's her name? Princess, Princess Peach. Princess Peach. yeah. You're just going full royalty on us. I mean, <laughs> no, she's like, I could be a queen. Princess, I could, I guess, queen. Be a princess. Either one is fine. You could have been Yoshi. <laughs> oh, Yoshi! I would be Yoshi. That's who I want to be. It I does, it does match, that does match the eating habits. Wow. <laughs> Podcasting is an audio medium. So Carmela got so hyped when she was Yoshi, and now she's just like, going to attack Omar for attacking her eating habits. To be honest, it would be more accurate for my eating habits. Like, that's how I eat Cinnabon. So it's just like, oh. Yes. That's how you're supposed to eat a Cinnabon. Yeah. You a hater. <laughs> First and of that's all, my final word. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of haters, First one of, of the all. things... <laughs> Speaking of haters, we have vampires taking over the Bronx. I'm so excited to talk about this. I was waiting and waiting um, for this to come out when I first saw the trailer. Speak for yourself, first of all. Special episode. (laughs) Carmela suggested it. Carlos was hyped. I will be honest, I was not. But I took him for the team. And I was like, all right, let's watch this. We appreciate you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Omar, not impressed. Check. (laughs) Um, So uh, we're going to do a quick synopsis. Spoilers ahead. If you haven't already watched, we do recommend that you go watch Vampires vs. the Bronx streaming now on Netflix. But if you are not interested in watching or would rather hear our Uh, take on it before watching um, just be aware that we are going to spoil a lot of this movie so vampires versus the bronx is a 2020 horror comedy starring um jaden michael gerald jones the third and gregory diaz the fourth who are friends coming together trying to save the neighborhood bodega until they find out that it is not just gentrification that is ruining the neighborhood but vampires are buying up property and taking over because they are going to move in The kids discover this. Miguel is sort of their leader, finds out what the moving pieces are, finds the bad guys, and eventually stops them. This is a very quick synopsis because we want to jump in and actually talk about some of the meat of the story. Spoiler alert, the good guys are going to win. I am personally prepared with my crucifix from my grandmother, got my holy water on standby, just in case, because me and Mela are recording in the Bronx. We're ready. (laughs) So we already have a sense of what my sort of first impressions were, um, but what were your first impressions of this film when we watched it together? So I'll start. Um, I I loved it. (laughs) I'm with Carlos. Carlos and I banged with this film heavily. And we we are both recording from the Bronx. We both live here. Um, And it, okay. So it's, it's, it's kitschy. It's, it's corny. It's, um, it's horror comedy as Carlos had had said to me a few minutes ago. Um, And it, so it's not, you know, it's not like your, your most serious uh, film, but it was funny. It was poignant and it felt like home. It, it it felt real good watching it. Um, So I really enjoyed it. Yes, it was, it's a little heavy handed on the gentrification <laughs> metaphor for mm-hmm. vampires, like sucking, <laughs> sucking the life out of a neighborhood. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, an hour and a half funny, very cool uh, horror comedy. And I, I loved it. And not only that, I actually thought the political analysis was really good. Omar, oh, what'd you think? I didn't like it. 
I, however, I will say this. I'm not a hater. I will say this. I'm very happy it was made. I 100% support this film. I think, you know, we don't see a lot uh, in this genre that focuses on uh, people of color. So I will defend this film and I'll say like, I'm very happy, you know, I think it was, I, I think it's important film. I, I'm glad that a lot of people like you two could identify so much <laughs> with it. I did not, I didn't find it. Like I found it, like she said, I mean like a corny kitschy, that's not my vibe, but that's fine. I'm, I'm okay with it. Would I watch it again? Absolutely not. But um, if I saw the director or the writer on the street, I'd be like, good for you. <laughs> so. Omar's like, disclaimer, I support the film, <laughs> but I hated it. <laughs> but but no, you know no, what you I didn't say? Like, I, I, it's more than, it's bigger than me. I, I understand the importance of this film. I just was waiting for it to be over. So, <laughs> Like uh, we've already sort of talked about, I was really, really into this. I usually try to take notes on my notepad while we're watching a show so that we have things to talk about, remember key plot points, if there's any phrases or um, line reads that just hit in a particular kind of way. I stopped taking notes after like the first maybe 10 minutes of the movie because I was just so into it in the teleparty chat before we started recording. Omar was making fun of me. It's like, I knew Carlos liked it because he'd stopped using words and was just keyboard smashing think it's a great for the genre, which often does not include um, people of color, especially Black folks, um, or they're included in a very sort of minuscule way. Um, but the leads are people of color, the sort of side characters and tertiary characters. Um, it was so awesome to see. And we'll talk a bit more about that um, as we go. Um, I just want to jump in on what, what both of you were saying about people of color in this genre. Um, what I enjoyed about this film as well, we've talked about this in Cursed, um, and probably this will this will come up many times in our discussions, um, is the 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 fact that sometimes when Hollywood is making films and TV, they just kind of drop people of color into roles just to sort of be like, oh, look, we're doing diverse casting or something like that. What I enjoyed about this film is it was... Um, the creative team was a lot of people of color as well. And it was, it was a distinctly Bronx story and flavor to it. I get what you're saying. Um, Cause it's something that we talked about with curse. Like you said that you can't just add color because a lot of the times there is something about that experience that is unique to that. And this felt more true to that than other stuff that we've seen. Um, and I also think like that was part of the, point of this film was that they wanted to make a story about people of color in the Bronx and you know in a sense like have a political message about gentrification or social message about gentrification and it didn't take itself too seriously either it wasn't like here we are like cultivating the horror genre to make commentary on gentrification like it was on the nose um, and it was just like, this is what it is. Very, very. I mean, it's like all the white people moving into the Bronx happen to be blonde vampires. <laughs> so speaking of the Bronx, because we're going to keep <laughs> talking about the Bronx today. Um, the kid Miro of Desus and Miro plays Tony, the bodega owner. I love him in this. I love him so much. <laughs> That's all I have to say. <laughs> I said to Carlos before we started I have no recording. Towards him, so. <laughs> he just breathes and I'm like, hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like him and he was he was so good. He was one of my favorite parts of the movie. And he was just being regular. Um, and he plays like a lovable kind of uncle figure to the protagonists. Um, and he's the the bodega guy, the bodega owner. Mm-hmm. Um so he was a lot of fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed him. He kind of reminded me of the bodega owner near where um, my uncle and my cousin live. Like if you're a regular and he knows you, he's like, what's up? Like you can have a relationship with your uh, bodega owner um, in certain kinds of neighborhoods. Like you can have that relationship. I also think it speaks to, this is what I mean when I said there's a, there's a texture to this film that really grounds it in in New Yorkness and neighborhoodliness. I don't know. I'm just making up words right now to describe it, but I do think, um, 
you know, it, it's a way of showcasing community relationships and how important they are in, uh, you know, raising young people. It's like, what's the phrase? It takes a village or, or, or whatever. Um, so besides Tony uh, played by uh, the kid Miro, we have other sort of um, adults in the movie. While it is centered on the, the kids, there are other adults that you might recognize, um, including Becky at the very beginning. Zoe Saldana. <laughs> so besides Tony, um, we have uh, Zoe Saldana, Method Man, and others playing bit parts. Chris Saldana, Red is in Carlos, this. your Latinx card. It's Zoe Saldana. She's there's no tilde on the end. Yes, there is. She's Ooh, this is choppy territory. You didn't hear Carmelo being like nailing it with Zoe Saldana. Okay, but she, she, I think she, she took it off for Hollywood. She so put it I back don't know on. What, did she? Uh, if you look her up, she's like she's got it. Well, so I don't spend a lot of time talking about Zoe Saldana because she only recently apologized for playing Nina Simone wearing that nose prosthetic and blackface. So. In this movie, uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, whoa, um, whoa, 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 we are not. No, just start. Okay, okay, we're gonna cut all of this out, and I'm just gonna stay. I'm keeping that, just so you know. (laughs) Yeah. So besides Tony, we have Zoe Saldana playing Becky. She is one of the uh, shop owners that the vampires are buying out. Um, they're giving a lot of store owners big money so that they can sell their property so that the vampires can move in so that they don't need permission to enter spaces and can really run the neighborhood. Um, they kind of do her character the way of um, Jada Pinkett Smith in Scream 2 and uh, Drew Barrymore in the first Scream, where she is really... Uh, a glorified cameo. They kill her off in the very beginning of the movie. She's the first death we see um, immediately after she sells. She's like, I'm going to go to the suburbs and then gets got. Um, in addition to Zoe, we've got um, Chris Red of SNL fame uh, plays a recurring character who's sort of watching the boys in the distance, sort of cheering them on, cracking jokes, attempts to DJ <laughs> at their barbecue, at their party. Um, we have somebody else. Who else? Method Man. So Method Man is also in this playing Father Jackson, who um, is sort of the neighborhood priest. All of the kids um, go to the same church with their um, families. And so he's watched these boys grow up and is trying to keep them out of trouble. Um, the Zoe Saldana um, cameo was fun. I don't even think it was a glorified cameo. It was a cameo cameo. And as soon as I saw her pop up on the screen, I'm like, she's going to die instantly because <laughs> obviously we're watching like, not a low, low budget film, but a lower budget kind of made for Netflix um, film. And she's a super star. They don't have Zoe money. Um, But she plays uh, like a neighborhood business owner. And that was, it was fun to see her. I I feel like it was basically just like, she was there to support. She did her, her one quick scene and it sets it up right from the, the jump that, okay, we got vampires attacking. So I thought Chris Redd was hilarious and had, some of the funniest lines in the film because he had the one line where uh, Miguel goes by and is like, just keep an eye out on things. And he's like, yo, that was my vague. <laughs> like, that cracked me up. And Chris Red also said the line later in the movie that was like, what'd you say about the Bronx? Um, right at like the pinnacle of the film. So a lot of fun. Method Man played like kind of a serious rigid keeping them in line character so um a lot of support from the adult stars <laughs> sorry adult characters there were funny moments i'll give it that there were moments that i was just like all right that's like when what like when the vampire came out when that one dude was chasing miguel and he's like yeah, what's up hamilton like i was like all right that was so funny that was funny. Like that was. Funny. That was so yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm not. I'm not gonna hate it. Like there were funny moments. It's just you. I could have watched like a trailer with the funny moments, and I would have been good. <laughs> I'm sure that'll be on YouTube by now. So, but, yeah. <laughs> I, the funny, other moment I will say though, the one moment that like had like me kind of being like cheering was when Luis took out the garlic adobo to like 
Oh my goodness. I, I, I supported that. I, I, I laughed at that. But. So no. I love that on so many levels. No, garlic adobo. I was just like, what is happening like, right now? It was funny because in a sense, like they had to get all these stuff to fight the vampires. And it's like, holy water, Um, check. <laughs> Every like house has that. It's like garlic, uh, check. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> Mad part of the cooking. Um, so, you know, it's like, it, it made the crosses, of course, like hanging yep. on every wall. I was just like, all right, fair. Did they have the one guy called Luis Puerto Rican Harry Potter? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he had classes. I was like, well, it's disrespectful. I'm there hilarious. were moments. There were moments. I I personally, like the the one where, um, what's her name, threw her Tim at uh, Queen Vampire. Another one. That and but like literally those were the moments for me. Like we've just listed them all. Like those are all the moments that I was like chuckled at. Yeah, I thought that I thought it was chock full of little little funny moments like that that also have just like a lot of cultural relevance and at, yeah. again at like a very local level, which mm-hmm. is really enjoyable. So a personal side story. I'll keep it brief. Promise. So in college, I was a part of the Latin American Student Association, LASA. We recorded lots of skits to get people to come to our events. So <laughs> we did a parody of Twilight called Crepusculo. <laughs> oh, so you made this movie in college. <laughs> a bit part. A bit part. <laughs> and then we did a parody of The Jersey Shore. And instead of GTL, Jim Tan Laundry. Disrespectful. We sprinkled Very ourselves with a double. <laughs> <laughs> and so when <laughs> the police busted out the adobo to attack the commander vampire, I lost it. It was very funny. It was a a good moment. We've lost Carlos. It was cool. It was fine. It it was fine. (laughs) So. I mean, I think that's part of why I love this so much because it, it's those little moments that add up. Like, but I know also like what it is for you. It's like it's like addressing sort of Caribbean Latinx stuff, which I know that you and I like identify with personally, but also like nerd culture, which is your bread and butter. So like I get it. I I think that it that's another reason why this film is like important. You know, like it like not a lot speaks to that sort of meshing between these two of like nerd culture and like yeah no i think a lot of people felt the same way about um into the spider-verse with miles um, morales because he is afro-latino he is sort of having these feet in multiple worlds sort of going from the public school with his friends speaking spanish speaking english but then also having his private school where he sort of doesn't fit in and trying to navigate that in this film the kids fit in like this is their group even though um Luis yes. is probably more nerdy than the others he's still one of the gang like he's not sort of excluded one of the moments I really enjoyed was when Rita is like oh y'all just gonna go off without me after they sort of survive a vampire attack the night before and uh Miguel starts stuttering because he has a huge crush on her and Bobby's just like, oh, welcome to the team. And it's not a question. It's not an issue. She just is instantly one of them after saving their butts the night before um, and sort of becomes one of the crew, which I really appreciated. Yeah, I was one thing as we were watching, I was skeptical a little bit about the the basically like the treatment of women and girls in yep. the first half of the film. I was like, uh, you know, because you just had the hysterical mothers and mother figures um, and Tony was cool and the three kids. Um, but I thought they, it, it wasn't like perfect, perfect, but one film it can't do everything. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, Rita's character developed nicely and seamlessly. They didn't try to make it like now it's, it, she was who she was. She was her own character. And then I had a lot of fun with the, I thought it was fun that they put in, they had a Gloria Yes. character who was basically vlogging around the neighborhood um and i thought that was cool i mean sometimes when when films and tv try to incorporate like texting or social media it's corny and it's just like uh, you know relax 
Um, but I thought that, that it worked really well in this. And I was like, what up, Gen Z? <laughs> yeah, it felt authentic. It felt real. It wasn't. It was like, this. it's so common, you know, um, and, and it was cool. So and she had her own little side story and she closed out the film. So that was fun as well. Yeah, I do want to say I was concerned about the treatment of um, the young girls as well. Um, with So I listened to this show called The Bechdel Cast where they sort of focus on gender um, and sort of the treatment of women and femmes. And um, uh, they focus on women and femmes in uh, films, like how are women being treated? Um, so one of the things they talk about is the surprise kiss, where it's often uh, pegged as really romantic. You are sort of having this conversation and a dude will surprise kiss a woman. Um, occasionally it's the other way around, but oftentimes it's the man sort of surprise kisses her. In this, I was really nervous at the end. Is he going to like push on her and surprise kiss her? And so he like puckers up, but he doesn't push it and she's like oh no honey that's not what's happening and it wasn't awkward or weird he wasn't angry it was just like oh cool like I I thought it was but like they were able to communicate and move forward which obviously this isn't sort of uh, trying to tell uh, men and women's story it's not trying to have like a gender conversation because it's talking about um, sort of issues of race gentrification and more economic stuff but I did appreciate that a girl was able to sort of be a part of the team, even if she um, isn't sort of there during one of the sort of lead leading, even if they do send her away to get the rest of the community to come through and she isn't there for when they first start slaying the vampires in the nest. Um, But I did appreciate that she was able to come back. The mom stepping up to save the, the girls who sort of wander in. I like that too. I feel like that was the movie's way of, not redeeming the mom because she wasn't bad. She was just being overprotective and trying to get her son to do the right thing. Like clean your room. It's your room. You should have it clean. Um, Overprotective. I was like, she was like perfect protective. Like he, she, he got arrested and she got mad. I feel like that's not over. Oh yeah. No, no, no. I'm talking about like before that, after he's arrested. Yeah. No, she has every right to ground him, have his ass on lockdown. Like even before she was like, make your room, clean your underwear. Listen, I was team mom, all right? I was like, Miguel, you need to stop hanging around with this grown-ass man and come home and make your bed. Overprotecting my ass. That was perfect. That was a a Latina's mother. So, anyway. Yeah, I didn't think she was portrayed as overprotective, but they did in the beginning just show her, like, out the window as, like, a little bit of foil to him, like, trying to present himself as cool. That's what I was referring she was like, to. Like, you sure you don't want me to get a babysitter? <laughs> Baby, you see him Savage. talking to a young person. Like, you you got to put him on blast like that. Hilarious. And yes. But I, <laughs> what I was saying before I, we sort of got You're raising no babies. <laughs> was um, that she gets to sort of, she jumps into the fight. Like, there's no question. She's like, I'm not going to let this vampire kill these young girls right in front of me. So she steps up to sort of jump into the fight, um, which I appreciated because um, nobody believed uh, Miguel and then no one believed the, the the kids. They're like, you're making this stuff up. Like you're reading too many comic books. They're called graphic novels. I love Luis. <laughs> Luis was so awesome. <laughs> My nerd heart was cavelling. <laughs> so I feel like we should get into the politics of the film. Um, yes. We've just been talking about kind of the overall representation, but let's dive in. Okay, well, I'll start. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wasn't no. sure if you were like on a roll. I didn't want to be like, so let me interrupt this woman talking. <laughs> no, like no. you just did now. <laughs> De- definitely not not a role. Um, yeah, so the politics of the film, here's what I thought were, was interesting about it. Obviously, we already said it's a very on-the-nose metaphor for gentrification. The vampires are coming in. And it wasn't like a, a metaphor even. They were literally like, we're going to buy a, we were going to get this real estate, basically like fake buy it up, but then kill their, what they're really doing is killing off the owners and taking the property because they said they're going to move in to the Bronx so that they can like prey on the people there and nobody will care. 
uh, and yeah. nobody will pay attention when people go missing. Um, so it's pretty on the nose. Uh, and I thought it was really interesting. But what I enjoyed about it politically was that, first of all, it was a there was a very clear class analysis um, about wealth uh, and the uh, and the way that social class and wealth intersects with and overlaps with race. Um, so it wasn't, it, it was fairly nuanced for like a, you know, a funny vampire film. Um, and I saw, you know, there was an article, this isn't a thought off the top of my head that was saying how Marx <laughs> compared, uh, you know, capitalism, uh, and rising capitalism to vampires, right. To sucking the wealth out of people as they work. And in this case to real, uh, real estate agents kind of sucking the wealth out of a neighborhood. Um, and so it's, it's a, it's a, it was a good metaphor. Um, politically, I thought it was interesting. Beaten over the head, though. <laughs> it's like, you know why we're taking out, uh, taking over the Bronx? Because nobody cares when everybody goes missing in the Bronx. Hey, did you know why we're going to be taking? Like, it was repeated. I think part of it is that it is geared towards younger people who may not get it. So for the audience that's watching, that would be my guess, that they're trying to make it sort of very heavy handed. This is just like, no, we're going to tell you and we're going to tell you again. <laughs> we're going to tell you again. Um, but I was cool with that for some of the other stuff we said. Um, but yeah, I love that you brought in Mark's <laughs> team sociology. <laughs> we'll never not bring in Mark's. <laughs> I mean, who I am. he says some important things. <laughs> it's important that we talk about it. Um, and so here's a little tidbit, a little nibble that I also was interested in was the uh, Italian American real estate developer, Frank Polidoro or something, classic name choice. Um, and this was, I mean, of course, this is like, it's just, it's not a big part of the film, but he's a pretty big character and he's a human, but he's working for the vampires and he's trying to get bit, right? He wants to get, quote unquote, the gift so he can become a vampire. Um, and I even thought that was like a subtle nod to like, at the end when they're about to kill him, um, Miguel's like, man, you're never going to be part of them. And I was like, is this like a meta narrative about Italian Americans, like selling our souls to whiteness to try to be part of the like American dream and the, the highest racial caste in the United States, I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting. But even if it wasn't intended to be that, um, of, I, I do think it's it's another part of this being having that local texture and fabric, which is that in New York, in neighborhoods, um, Italian-Americans are often the, the people like real estate people or, uh, you know, who are on the ground kind of actively participating in moving gentrification along in a fa at a faster pace. Um, so as a group, we sometimes portray ourselves as having been marginalized in some ways or having even been like experiencing gentrification in some of our neighborhoods, but are often at the forefront of accelerating gentrification in black and brown neighborhoods. Um, so I was like, what up, Frank Polidoro, <laughs> my guy. <laughs> um, so that was, that was poignant as well. Yeah, I think it was interesting just to sort of second your point and underscore some i thought it was particularly interesting that it was bobby who said it to him um bobby the one was it bobby of, yeah oh i said it was miguel my bad sorry oh, Bobby. Sorry. <laughs> no i i think it's interesting just given the sort of dynamic of his family and sort of how he is being sort of preyed on to a certain degree by henny the sort of um gangster character that he's sort of the one it's like you think you're going to be able to win like this? Like you're not going to win. Even if you get into the club, you're still going to be the bottom rung. Um, so I just sort of, it was the way it was delivered. I feel like sort of underscores that it might've been a bit more intentional, um, especially with that name choice. <laughs> yeah, it was. Okay. While we're talking uh, you know, being subsumed into power structures. Um, there were some some cops portrayed in the background um, as uh, they were people of color as well, but they were very much complicit in kind of uh, ignoring the young people and perpetuating what was going on with the uh, gentrification and vampire invasion of the neighborhood. Hmm. 
it seems like Frank, the vampire familiar, calls the cops after he discovers that um, they took a file that had a thumb drive, which is how the the kids find out that this is the vampire's plan. They find layouts of buildings, buildings all around the Bronx, how they're going to be taken over, where they're putting the coffins, because this is really planned, a multi-pronged approach. They didn't just show up one day and start taking over. So um, the cops catch the kids breaking into, um, well, coming out of after having broken into, was it? Their real estate office, I think. Was no, they be- were at somewhere else because they were looking at oh. the, the coffins. So it was City Hall, right? No, then it would have been the courthouse. The courthouse. Thank you. Um, so the cops catch them after they leave the courthouse that they broke into and they're put in the back of the cop car. They're taken to the real estate office. The kids are like, um, why are we here? And it's like to see if Frank is going to press charges against you for stealing. Um, so there's a whole incident. They play the video. They reveal that they had borrowed, in air quotes, the uh, thumb drive. It's immediately taken by the cops and given back to Frank. Um, Frank comes outside, reveals he's not a vampire. And as the kids are being reprimanded and taken away by their parents, while Gloria is recording the whole thing, um, the cops are there sort of laughing and carrying on with Frank. Um, Don't believe the kids are not really a supporter. One of them, the uh, Black woman cop, sort of threatens, oh, I guess they want to go to juvie because the kids were sort of uh, back-talking in the backseat. Which, fairness, I probably would be back-talking in the backseat too if I'm trying to stop a vampire invasion and nobody's believing me. Would you? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so maybe not me because I'm like, like, anxiety. Wouldn't you be like Luis? Like, oh my god, my blood sugar. (laughs) (laughs) Be like, my tia's gonna kill me. (laughs) So I think uh, just to sort of keep the political conversation going, that um, this isn't just something that they were able to do just because they were vampires. There are a lot of structural things in place um, to help facilitate this. And that includes sort of co-opting or um, that includes using the cops because cops are there to protect private property and not really to protect the kids in this iteration um, in this film. Yeah. And it just keeps going with, this wasn't like a very big plot point in the course of the film but it keeps going with this idea I keep coming back to that it's just part of the fabric um, of people's day-to-day experience kind of having interactions like that with the cops um, and that's what I mean by kind of the, the film just having a, a, a neighborhood texture that I thought was really well fleshed out yeah because it could have just as easily gone so many other different ways that did not have that sort of level of nuance and texture and feel that we've been talking about um, which I appreciated. Um, so we've kind of been burying one of the leads in our conversation thus far. I hope you're ready <laughs> with your holy water just in case. Um, so we find out through the course of the story, not a super big surprise. Carmela kind of saw it coming. But the leader of the vampires is none other than Vivian, the nice white lady that the kids bump into the first night we meet them in the very beginning of the movie. Um, She has just relocated to the Bronx because she got priced out of her old neighborhood. She is the one who is Becky's last manicure before Frank shows up to sign the paperwork that is Becky's demise. Yeah, I mean, now that we know that she was a vampire queen or whatever, the head of the vampires, I don't know if she was actually priced out of her last neighborhood. <laughs> Lies. <laughs> um, but yeah, we see her right in the beginning. She gets a manicure at Becky's um, with with Zoe in the beginning. Uh, and then she meets the kids right in their first couple scenes, right when we meet them. Um, and yeah, I said pre- pretty early on, I was pretty sure she was going to be the head of the whole thing. And she was, um, which is which is uh, um, an interesting narrative um, about kind of the, the well-intentioned, nice white person uh, who, you know, moves in and nonetheless turns out to be the biggest bloodsucker of all. Um, so she was, you know, uh, I don't have anything else to say about that. It was, it was, it was interesting and and pretty expected. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, even though and it wasn't then she got got at the end. Like, <laughs> we did give you a spoiler warning. You were warned at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it was. It wasn't a surprise. Um, the pieces were definitely um, laid out there. Pretty easy to see. But it was um, good. The pacing was good too. Yeah. It didn't feel like, oh, I knew this was coming. It still felt, it was still interesting to see. It wasn't, sometimes the way a story's set up, you'll see the twist coming. And so when it happens, you feel nothing. But First this of all, have. you both said that you saw it coming, and not, like it's not like we knew it was coming. It's like you said it with like ten minutes of meeting Bibby, and you're like, "She's a vampire." She's a <laughs> I think it was like the second scene. I was, was like, "She's definitely." I mean, it was that. like not. It was like quite obvious. But like, I was not it, obvious, it, obvious. But it was like, like I was like shocking. It wasn't a surprise. Yes. Yeah, but what I'm saying, I think what I'm trying to say is that sometimes knowing and then being right, you sort of. It doesn't, you don't feel anything when it actually comes to pass. This one, it wasn't a shock, but I was still like, oh shit. Like, it's, I still got a reaction from her being revealed to be the vampire. Um, like, also, it's only an hour and a half long film. So, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, not that much time to be like, what's going to happen? <laughs> and it's not like a horror noir, it's a horror comedy. So it's like, of course, Tony's the one who finds out she's the vampire by seeing floating hummus on his security camera. That was a fun like, moment. I don't have a bag. Like, you can tell he's nervous and she knows. And that's unfortunately how Tony. And then she out. takes out Tony. My guy. Yeah. The kids don't take it well. Justice um, for Tony. <laughs> Justice for Tony, for sure. I did like uh, justice for Tony. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be like. <laughs> He's like, I'm not gonna drag right, yeah, down justice, justice for, for him by saying justice for Tony. <laughs> Hilarious. So I did like that Miguel um, takes the bat. That he sort of was interested in sort of taking on. He's trying to sort of be, they call him Lil Mayor. Um, he is trying to sort of save the community and sort of keep the neighborhood going. Um, so he takes the bat, sharpens it into um, a lance of sorts, um, and then uses that to stake the vampire um, Vivian um, to death at the end, um, sort of avenging Tony, avenging the neighborhood, um, and didn't save the bodega, but saved the Bronx um, from this invasion because the lead vampire dying means the other ones are already going to be weaker in the vampire mythos that they give us here. Um, so I did like it. It was kind of a full circle moment um, with Miguel and his story. So are there any other things we want to talk about or do we want to go into our um, favorite, least favorite um, moments of the movie? All I want to say is that the, the music was also popping. Um, the, the, the background music was good. Um, it was a great blend of a lot of the genres that come out of the Bronx. So we had, we had salsa and cha-cha, bachata, hip hop, reggae. Um, so I enjoyed the music, the music, uh, and the soundtrack was, was also good. Yeah, it was dope. I was like dancing in my seat when some stuff came on. I was like, uh, 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 <laughs> um, cause again, it's that, that, that flavor. I like the flavor. <laughs> I'll go into favorite and least favorite. Uh, my favorite was probably Garlic Adobo. I, I was like, okay, okay, Luis. Least favorite, the rest of the film. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's, there were, I don't know. It, it, I felt that the, the whole storyline with Bobby and, and the gang stuff, I, I, I didn't think it went places really. I don't know. Like, I thought they, they were going to have like a more, poignant poignant that's a difficult word <laughs> there's going to be something like more there i, I wasn't really because that is another thing that we didn't really talk about is like how like the gang member the lead gang member kind of joins up with the vampires and you know because it talks about like what people in certain positions will do for um some capital mm-hmm. but um yeah i mean uh, eh, yeah so there we go. Yeah, I didn't. It was. It was. I don't know if we needed it. It. They did try to develop it, 
because there was a final confrontation between the 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 I guess it was uh, the four guys who were like a gang members and the four vampires that they they lost right we don't really see it it just happens really quick they shoot the vampires but then the vampires did that that <laughs> someone called it the MJ lean where like they went back but then they came back up um, and then they kill them off screen I think um, but yeah I don't know it was a little I don't know if we needed it in the film although I think it was just again trying to add texture but I agree with Omar that was one of my least favorite things was that storyline um my well while I'm here my <laughs> favorite I mean definitely what I thought was kind of like the best moment of the film was um when it's v- Vivian has Miguel by the neck and she's about to take him out and she's she's um talking to him and she says something about the Bronx being just like a shithole basically or something what does she say she says like oh the Bronx this is like your crappy neighborhood or something. It's a and shithole like the Bronx. Like that's is the that, end of her thing. It's like some shithole like the Bronx. Yeah, that's a, okay. I know how to make that up. Um, and sh- and then right outside of the warehouse that they're in, kind of like half the neighborhood is assembled. Um, and he's like, "What'd you say about the Bronx?" Our girl uh, Lita bought the crew. And then yeah, so everybody is assembled to to take her on. Uh, and that was a fun culminating moment. It was hilarious. Um, and that was right before the Tim throwing incident. So that was a good uh, sequence to me. So the small moments that we've already talked about and then that culminating moment. So I think in terms of my favorite, I loved some of the line reads from some of the characters. Um, Vivian says real talk in a way. (laughs) That was so glorious. Real talk? If you haven't seen the movie, Bella's not doing it full justice. I can't. I try. (laughs) You can't. Like, so you got to watch it just for some of the line reads. Um, Oh, was it also like the vampire? He was like, Bodega. (laughs) You were like, all right. Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) It was like, very nice Bodega. I was like, oh, (laughs) okay. Hello. It's amazing. One of my favorite vampire kills is... Uh, Luis is getting attacked and he throws the Eucharist into the mouth of the vampire and it's like, body of Christ. Yeah, that was a funny one. It was so good. Um, little moments like that really sort of made it in addition to everything. Um, and Luis had that skateboard kill too. Yes, yes. So good, so good. So... That uh, pretty much wraps up our episode and discussion. So what we do, and you all haven't heard this yet because we're still releasing episodes of Cursed, is that we end our discussions of a TV show by giving it a hype stars rating, um, a rating from zero to five hype stars. Does it live up to the hype? Is it worth it, worth your time? Um, What's the enjoyment factor? Um, So uh, Mela, you want to go first and give us your hype star rating for vampires versus the Bronx. Sure. So I I was basically between 4.5 and 5. Uh, I loved this um, for what it was. For what it yeah. was. Like a, a kitschy funny I was about to say zombie again. <laughs> Vampire <laughs> film. Um, and I wouldn't watch a film in that genre normally but this one was is definitely worth watching. Um, So for what it was, I'm going to go, I'm going to go full five stars um, for the genre. (laughs) Sorry, Omar. Omar, (laughs) your hype stars. Two. Like, I'm sorry. I just, I, 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 I gave it two because it is important for, you know, representation. I do appreciate that. I was waiting for it to be done. It just, it was not my kind of movie. It's nothing against the movie itself. Like I, but I wouldn't totally want to watch fair. it again. I wouldn't recommend it to people. I would recommend that people like have it playing just so that, to give it support. But I, I, I don't know my feelings. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be more in line with um, Mela. Um, I think I'm going to give it 4.5. Um, I'm not going to go full five. Um 
just for some of the reasons we talked about. Um, I would have loved to have um, a more substantial uh, part for Rita and maybe Gloria sort of being a bit more than just sort of the narration um, through the story. Um, That would have been cool. Um, I had other thoughts about why I'm not going to give it a full five and my mind just blanked. Um, Yeah, it's an enjoyable movie. I've already recommended it to some of my um, friends with tweens and teens to watch. Um, If you're into uh, Stranger Things or um, sort of fantasy um, and comedy, I think this might be up your alley. Um, Ah, fuck it. I'm going to give it five stars. (laughs) Five stars. You can't see it either. I just got an eye roll. (laughs) But I get it. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea. They tweak the vampire mythos a bit. Um, It is pretty heavy-handed with some of its metaphors. Um, But then there are some more nuanced things. I did appreciate that when the... um, To go back to your uh, sort of low point, Omar... um, that when Henny, the gangster's trying to get um, Bobby in the crew, um, he gives him a gun. They're like, we're going to go do this because we're working for Frank. We're working for the vampires now. Um, Bobby leaves. He leaves the gun behind. Um, I feel like a lesser movie might have let the kid run through the city with a gun, which could have gone all sorts of ways wrong for him. I like that he left it behind and then went to join the kids, um, which I appreciated, even though they didn't fully flesh out that story. Um, but for the culture, BX forever, five stars for vampires versus the Bronx. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed our special Halloween episode. We're back to Cursed next week. And Carlos, do you want to close us out? Yes. Stay spooky, stay safe, and let us know on Instagram at play.hype.dialogue what you're going to dress up as for your Zoom parties. Happy Halloween.